Well, isn't that a most interesting Bible reading? Quick show of hands. Uh, how many of you have never, or how many of you have heard that Bible reading before? Have you, you've come across it before? Okay. How many of you have heard it preached on before? How many of you feel like you really understand what's going on there? Yeah, yeah, interesting, isn't it? This is such an interesting text. Just before, over there at the sound desk, there was a kid's Bible. And I find kid's Bibles really helpful. You can read the whole Bible in about half an hour. Uh, I recommend it. Do you know what passage, what great story isn't in the kid's Bible? This story. I wonder why. I wonder why. Um... I always wonder what sort of issues Isaac had later on in life. <laughs> Man, this is why the Jews have a history of psychotherapy and psychiatry. We grew up with this in our history, right? Right from the get-go, daddy issues, trust issues. Um, and God, who acts in the world that is extraordinary and wonderful and brings blessing... But sometimes, I think today, as back then, we scratch our heads and go, hmm, what on earth are you up to, God? Don't we? Like, I reckon Abraham must have thought that. He's got this promise. He's had this promise from God. Uh, Sarah's seriously postmenopausal. His wife, she's old. He's old. Um, they have no kids. And God promises him a kid, Sarah laughs, Abraham laughs, it's not going to happen, eventually it happens, and everything's going well, Abraham's got rich, uh, he's, he's got a, a kid from a concubine as well, but he, the, the kid gets sent off, now he's, got, um, now he's got Isaac, his destiny, his treasure, Isaac is the fulfillment of every promise that God has given him, uh, he's creating serious family capital, God is blessing him, it is just fantastic, everything that could go well, pretty much is going well for Abraham. And then verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Uh, quick show, maybe we went to the show of hands. Do you think God still tests us today? You can ask the same question, Jen. Does God test us today? Show of hands. Let's do it this way. If All those in favor of the proposition that God still tests us today, raise your hand. Those who think God doesn't test us today, raise your hand. Those who don't have a clue and would rather not be exposed in public for their uncertainty, raise your hand. <laughs> um, there is nothing, there is nowhere else in the Bible where it says that God directly tests a person in this way. There are, there's another very well-known occasion, of course, where God allows Satan, uh, one of the rebellious uh, angels and members of the divine council, God's ruling coalition of spiritual beings, to have a crack at one of his people. Can you think of that story? You may have, Book of Job. So it, with Job, this is sort of the closest we get where... 
Satan comes to God and says, hey God, this whole plan you've got for people to love you and trust you for who you are, I'm not sure that's right. Look at Job here, he's a good bloke, he's super religious, he seems to like you a lot. Uh, but, but Satan goes to God, I reckon he just likes you because you've given him lots of good stuff and his life's easy. And so God says, okay, Satan, have a crack at him. Take away all his stuff. And then God says to Satan, yeah, actually, you can, you can not, not just take away his stuff, but you can actually have a crack at him physically. You can go for his physical health. The only thing you can't do is kill him. And that's the story of Job. This is, so while, so, so this is a, a massive issue. Does, what do we do with our experiences of suffering? Is it Job? Is it God letting Satan have a crack at us? Is it Abraham, where God is directly testing us? Or maybe it's Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, where it doesn't say that suffering is a test, but rather suffering can be a discipline. So we frame it not as a test, but as a means, suffering is a means by which God shapes our characters. Who doesn't know that to be true? Like, how many of us grow when everything's just great? Well, we don't. That was the point of the question, the discussion we all had. Nothing good comes in this world without someone paying a price for it. You know, like, you wouldn't, have ar- you, you wouldn't be in this world unless your mum had paid the price of carrying you and having you wreck her body. And be brought forth in pain and at risk of death in childbirth. Like, you know, that's just, life is that, that everything good requires sacrifice and cost. That just seems to be the way it is. So, um, does God test us today? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think when you read the rest of the Bible, we find a God who goes, well, I'm going to see. I'm going I'm to intervene directly and, and put Mark through some moral challenge like this to see how he comes out on the other side. And you know why I don't think God does that? <laughs> Two reasons. One, I don't need God to give me moral challenges. <laughs> I find them myself all the time. I, I, you know, I, my, all of life actually at one level is a test of our faith, isn't it? I don't need God to directly intervene. Like it's, life is testing. It's a challenge. It's hard. And the second reason I don't think God directly intervenes to test in this way is because he just knows the chances are that, that I'm going to fail. Doesn't he? And you're going to fail. Just give it time. <laughs> like, he doesn't need to prove anything. He knows how frail we are, how weak we are. I mean, even Abraham, he passed this one, but he's not exactly got a track record of great obedience to God up to this point, has he? He's laughed at God. He's disbelieved God. He's uh, been quite happy to sacrifice his wife Sarah's honor and sexuality in order to save his own skin. So I don't, I don't think God, I don't think God tests us. But I think we are tested. I think we are put in the crucible and suffering puts us in the crucible and we get pummeled and pulverized to, and, and 
you know, what comes out the other side of a, of a crucible? Well, you get rid of the dross. And, and what is pure and good remains. And certainly, you know, later in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, it does seem like we're tested as through the fire. God purifies us. God tests us. I don't think directly that's not the kind of God we face, we live. So how do you make sense of this then? Because God knows how hard this, God knows how hard it is. Um, the thing he's putting, bef- the thing that Abraham is going to go through. Now we, of course, when we read the story, we know God's testing him. So we kind of know that it's not going to go catastrophically wrong. But Abraham didn't know that, right? And God says, take your son, look at this. He says, your only son whom you love, Isaac. So four times he puts Isaac front and center. And he knows how much Abraham loves his son. This is the thing that is most valuable to him. This is the thing that without, without Isaac, Abraham's life is meaningless and purposeless and empty. So what I want you to do now is take some instrument of writing, like your phone or a piece of paper if you got it, and think about your life and think about what are the couple other what are the things in your life that if they were removed you would feel your life was was existentially empty and meaningless and purposeless what are those precious things that are at the center of your life that if you lost them you feel like you'd lose everything okay and write something down or you can picture it i guess but you could jot it on your phone or i don't know going for some engagement here, people. I'm not going to ask you to share these. All right, so you should have a few things. Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. You look at those things. Where did those things come from? Ultimately. Are they really yours? (laughs) See, this is the thing with Isaac and Abraham, right? Abraham knew that Isaac, his beloved son, that thing which made his life meaningful and gave him his destiny and an identity and a name, that this thing, Isaac, this son of his, was a gift from God. And, and we have to understand that, that, ev- that Abraham knew clearly that when God asked for Isaac back, God was asking for nothing more than what was his anyway. Isaac was always God's in the first instance, and only secondarily Abraham's. 
musicality it could be any number of things our creativity we we grab onto these things and we can build our lives on these things and we can think they're ours but then they're not ours in the first instance they're a gift from god um every breath you take as i morph into a 80s love song <laughs> every How can I not say that? Every inhalation of oxygen is a gift. All of life is a gift from God. So what does that mean as we make life work? It means uh, the, the heart is we need to embrace stewardship not ownership to get the difference we are managers stewards looking after the good things that god has given us we don't own them because if we think the uh, we own them what happens is we discover that they own us and we are slaves to these things and that robs us of our humanity Uh, for whatever reason i i this lesson was I, i don't know god taught this to me pretty early on in life maybe because i watched so much stuff that mattered to me just run through my fingers like so much sand at the beach when our when oliver was born our first child um he was uh cesarean so it was not a great experience of childbirth margo was in recovery and i had little oliver he's a little undercooked he was a little tadpole and uh and he was all wrapped up in one of those little plastic buckets that they put him in in the in the in the ward and so margo's in recovery and there's oliver and i i remember leaning over him and tears streaming down my face and i just prayed and i said lord i i know i'm only going to have him to look after for a couple of years it's a very short time and it's going to go so quickly uh, and for the time that i have him to care for him help me help me to do a good job because he's yours and he's going to leave and i've just got him for a brief moment tears it's one of the most moving moments in my life as you can probably tell Of course by the time the second one came along like eh you know whatever you know <laughs> my first son whom I love but only for a time and of course now you know he's gone out to run kids church and he's 20 going on 21 and he's gone 
Uh, hopefully he'll be gone soon. I mean, you know. <laughs> they, they, they go, they move. That's life. That's the sacrifice of parenthood, right? If you try and hold on to them, you'll crush them. You'll be a slave to them and them to you. Everything is a gift. So embrace stewardship, not ownership. Um, for all the most precious things that we have, they're a gift from God and they can go just like that. Your money, it's a big one, isn't it? Jesus talks a lot about that. The Bible talks a lot about that. We, we, we think we own money and money becomes important because money buys us security, significance, our identity, all kinds of things. But you know it can go just like that. You won't take it with you. You're a steward of it. What God will ask of you and me one day is, well, what did you do with that? I, I, I entrusted you with this. What did you do with it for the kingdom, for others? You don't own it anyway. You've got to give an account of it. So I, I think that's the framework with which Abraham goes through this test. Now, um, God asks him to be willing to give up that which is most precious to him. And of course, then he doesn't have to give it up. The stewardship paradigm says, dear friend, are you at a place spiritually where you would give up that which is most precious to you and defining of you if God asked it of you? And there's no easy answer to that, is there? You won't know until it's taken from you what hold it had on you. You won't know. This is the terror of faith. This is the, this is the challenge. Like, I'd, I wish I could offer something a little more, a little easier, but I can't. But this is grounded. The other thing, though, that then we learn from this stewardship, everything's a gift. But, but, but at the heart of this is Abraham's faith, right? And this is what, this is, what is profound. He obeys instantly. Um, and, and his faith is resolute. He, God has already once provided him with an heir, with Isaac, and he just goes all the way through. God himself will provide. I think Abraham's going, I have no idea. I suspect in the back of Abraham's mind he's going, I kind of hope God doesn't make me kill my son. <laughs> That's what I'm guessing. He says, God will provide. God will provide. God will provide. And then in this, as the story goes on, it's like God leaves it to the last minute. Abraham's obedience has been so instantaneous that he's there, he's tied up his kid, he's about to, he's got the knife up. And then it's like one of the, one of the angels up in, you know, in God's divine counsel and the Lord looks down and goes, oh, Hey, guys, we got distracted. Abraham's about to kill his son. Yo, Abraham, Abraham. And it's this urgency, this last minute. Whoa, stop, stop, stop. Whew, don't, you know, that was nearly a disaster. No. You, you haven't withheld from me your only, your son, your only son. You fear God. You trust. You have faith. You've gone all the way, and then God will provide. So Abe, then he looks, he sees the ram, he sacrifices it at a burnt offering instead of his son. Uh, presumably he 
and he takes Isaac and gives him a cuddle, tells him it's all going to be okay. And then Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. God will provide. You see, one of the reasons we hold on to things and we embrace an ownership paradigm, not a stewardship paradigm, is because we are terrified that if we don't control and protect what we have, we'll be diminished and we'll lose our lives and we'll lose our significance and life will be miserable and awful for us. And you know, the irony is the more we have, the more anxious we get about losing what we have because we're the richest generation, the healthiest generation that has ever existed in the, entire, in the entirety of human history, but we're greedy and we're anxious. We hold on and we're scared because we, we don't think God will come through for us and that he will provide. I think our faith, faith is like a muscle. The faith that God will provide is like a muscle that in our culture is massively undeveloped because 21st century capitalism and our scientific technological society and our wonderful liberal democracy, all this brilliant, the brilliance of our culture means that we are unbelievably good at providing for ourselves. So, you know, we don't live on the brink of starvation like the majority of humankind have. So there are very few instances, aren't there, where we really have to exercise the muscle of faith that says God will provide. We're like those guys who go to the gym and never do leg day. Only ever work there. Sorry, it's a, for those of you who have been to the gym, just Google memes of guys who don't do leg day. Tiny, shriveled muscles, massive upper body. I think that's like us. We, the, the faith to say God will provide. It's hard because actually we're so good at providing for ourselves, aren't we? I don't know what we do about that. Like, I'm not suggesting we go back to subsistence agriculture. But I think that's why it's hard for us in our comfortable, rich Western church. It's very hard for us whenever we experience loss or suffering. Our instant response very often, and maybe not for you, but certainly in my heart and in many people that I've talked to over many years, is to throw up our hands and say, where is God in this? Why is he putting me through this hard time? And actually, the level of suffering and faith is like this much compared to what the vast majority of Christians through the world have encountered. Now, it's still meaningful, but we just haven't learned. God will provide God will provide. And here's, here's one of my favorite verses from Scripture that is worth it. This is what builds your faith, right? How do we develop this muscle? Well, try this on for size. Here's a promise of God. If Abraham could trust God, how much more can we trust God? Because we have this promise. We live this side of the ultimate provision of God for us. The Apostle Paul, Rabbi Saul, says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And here's the most extraordinary promise. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? By the way, this is an echo 
of Genesis 22, the same phrasing. Abraham, you did not hold back your own son. God asked him to be ready to sacrifice his son, but in the end didn't ask him to go through with it. God himself went through with that very sacrifice, did not hold back his own son. So this is an argument from the major to the minor, from the hard to the the easy. God has done the harder thing. God has given you his son, Jesus. He He has died in your place, not withheld anything from you. Now, surely he'll give you meaning and purpose and significance. He'll provide for your health. He'll provide for your family. These are easy things for God to do. The hard thing is to die in your place. The easy thing is to give you food on your plate. Or let me rephrase it off from last, the thing I said last week. The hardest thing is for Jesus to die for you. The easy thing is to organize this world so that everything that happens in this world is for your greatest good. And God's greatest glory. Because this is what it says. God's for us. Nothing can actually, in the end, harm us. We are completely safe, completely secure. God has given us everything we need. And, uh, and he will give us an eternity of glory with him. Because, by the way, have you noticed? We come into the world naked and with nothing. We accumulate all the stuff that we think is so important. We struggle to trust God with all the stuff. We hold on to it. We hold on to it. We hold on to it. And then what happens as we get older? Slowly, it all gets picked away from us. And then we die naked. Naked, I came into the world. Naked, I leave the world. From dust to dust. Ashes to ashes. And in the middle, we've got to learn to trust God. Because we're going out with nothing. We came in with nothing. We're going out with nothing. And the lesson he wants us to learn is the lesson of Abraham. The lesson that says this God has acted in time and space to give us everything we need. So don't hold on to all this other stuff so tightly. Don't build your life on what you can't hold on to anyway. Build your life on the promises and the love and the power of Jesus Christ. Because in Him, you'll never be separated from God. In Him, you'll have everything that your soul longs for. In Him, you'll have life and security and significance and glory and a destiny. And everything else is going anyway. <laughs> That's so. This is what God has done for us. So what does that mean? Well, here's the final thing. Trust that God will provide. Um, but then look at this text. Therefore, Rabbi Saul, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, he's, sac- he's provided the one sacrifice. What are we to do? What does is, what is following Jesus today look like? Well, to... To offer, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know what? Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac. God the Father sacrificed God the Son. God sacrificed himself for us. And you know what he asks of you and me today. He says, don't think about sacrificing someone else. You're the sacrifice. You are the one who now puts yourself on the altar and says, I belong wholly to God. 
I'm his. And when you do that, you can figure out how to make life work. I belong wholly to God. That's the Christian life. That sounds crazy, right? But that's the path of life. Now, of course, the problem with being a living sacrifice is we keep crawling off the altar. We keep going, I don't want to stay there. I don't want to live for God. I want to live for myself. And he says, no, no, that's like actually life comes. The true, our true humanity is fulfilled when we say to God, everything I have comes from you. I trust you to provide. You have died for me. You've given me everything I need. Therefore, as a result, I will live in every part of my life, with every fiber of my being, with every breath I breathe, I will live for you, Jesus. And we know that when we do that, this is pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. You'll be able to live in step with God. And how wonderful would the world be if it were populated by people who lived as living sacrifices to the crucified Messiah, Jesus, and lived the way he wants us to live. Like that's for you, that's for me. That's our mission is to go to the world and say, hey, become a living sacrifice. Give up your life and follow Jesus. And if you haven't ever done that, if you're thinking, if, and maybe you are, and look, I, I get it, this is, there's a lot here, but... Maybe you've never jumped, maybe you've never wholeheartedly surrendered your life to God and, and understood that it's an all or nothing thing. It's jump on the altar, say to Jesus, I trust you, everything I have is from you, and from this moment on, I will, I will surrender everything I have to you. So go back to that list of precious things that you wrote down at the start. And maybe today, for the first time, you need to say to God, all these things I offer back to you. Knowing that God's not going to, he's not a punitive God who's testing you to try and arbitrarily yank stuff away. He only wants what's best for you. And what's best for you is that you don't hold on to stuff. You, you hold it with an open hand and you offer it back to God. So maybe look at that list and say to God this morning, I'm yours. All these things are yours. Do with me what you want because I am yours and you are mine. Now and forever. Let's pray. Uh, Lord and God, we ask you to give us the courage to trust you, the faith to believe that you will provide, and the strength to stay on the altar and live lives as a living sacrifice for you, for now and forever. Amen.